Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes with DailyStreets.com. Our guest today is the founder of New Zealand-based uh, entrepreneur Elisha Watson, the CEO and founder of NISA, an underwear and leisure wear label that started in 2017. Elisha got the idea to start her brand while working as a lawyer and volunteering with the Red Cross Refugee Resettlement Program, sharing a love of sewing with many of the women in the former refugee community. The idea of setting up a sewing workshop to provide employment opportunities took off from there on. Elisha later quit her job, set up a crowdfunding campaign, and then went about the process of hiring her first employees, buying machines, and looking for a sunny space to base her workshop to start the brand. She did all this while not having any fashion or industrial sewing experience at all. So today we're going to speak to Elisha on why she decided to start an underwear label uh, which has sprung into a leisure wear now and how she makes a profit through a social enterprise. Without further ado, let's invite Elisha to the show. Hi Elisha, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me here. Thank you, great. So let's get right into the question. So um, yeah, so just a short, um, you know, uh, a snippet on how Nisa got its start because you were working in a high fly, flying job as a corporate lawyer or was yeah. it just a lawyer? Uh, yeah, so I was working um, as a litigation lawyer actually back in the day. So I just graduated and it was my first first job at a university um, working at one of the uh, one of the top law firms in New Zealand. So that was you know the big corporate office the on the top floor of this giant building with amazing views of the harbour. Um, it's not really my life anymore, but, <laughs> you know, so, uh, it was nice to kind of soak up the glamour while I still could. Yeah, so, and then how in you you were um, um, volunteering with the Red Cross on the side or was that part of the job? Yeah, no, no. So um, the those were two very separate things. Um, so I was working, my day job was working as a lawyer. And then on the weekends and the nights, I would be, working as a resettlement volunteer, helping to resettle recently arrived families and also at the community law centre, um, which is really focused around legal advice to people who had just arrived in New Zealand and people who are former refugees. So why did you, what was the calling for that? Why did you want to do that? Um, I guess I had lived overseas in Germany when I was younger, so when I was uh, 19 and 20, um, and I had like seen a lot of anti-refugee sent- settlement, sorry, sentiment <laughs> over over in Europe, and I really didn't want New Zealand to be the same. I wanted New Zealand to be a welcoming place, um, a place where people could restart their lives after some pretty difficult experiences. Um, and I guess there'd been a bit of stuff in the news that really caught my attention, like the um, the little boy that washed up on the beach. Um, his name was Alan Cody. That was maybe quite a few years ago now, but just seeing this little toddler um, who died trying to get across to Europe made me, um, I guess, galvanise a lot of support for refugee issues around the world. So that's kind of what got me thinking in that headspace and wanting to, yeah, really wanting New Zealand to be different. Okay, so you did that. And then while you were volunteering, you had an aha moment Mm. when you decided that you wanted to help these ladies 
I mean, mostly they were mostly ladies, right? That you were helping. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, we've actually not through any particular plan, but all of our employees have been women. <laughs> so, yeah, we're an um, entirely female team. All right, so you wanted to help these women get in um, mm. get into employment, and you thought of setting up a sewing workshop to provide mm. them employment. So. Why sewing, you know, because because um, when I read your background, it says that you had no experience in sewing. Did you take up sewing when you were young or something? Um, so I had, I'd done a wee sewing course before I started Nisa and that's how I taught myself to sew. And then kind of that was a really cool point of connection for me and a lot of women in the refugee community. Um, and so we talked about a lot about the dresses we'd made and all of that kind of stuff, but I never had any formal fashion training. Like it was just a little night course that I did. Uh, no professional experience whatsoever. Um, yeah, but I, I guess it was just a love of sewing garments and then also recognizing that skill set on a lot of the people in the community. Like a lot of people had sewing backgrounds and sewing from when they were really young um, and a lot of people have worked in the industry professionally. Um, there's not much of an industry here in New Zealand anymore for man, like garment manufacturing. So um, I thought it would be, you know, a cool, cool way to do something a bit different. Um, kind of going against the tide of like moving everything offshore, doing something here locally in New Zealand, and using those those strengths that people already had. All right, so you started um, you started you started a crowdfunding. What was the next step? Was it a crowdfunding, or you decided on? Uh, I actually got my first employees and set up the workshop first, mainly because in order to crowdfund something, you actually have to already be doing it. <laughs> it's really hard to crowdfund without like the pictures and the plan. Um, so we already started doing it, but we crowdfunded to get a new machine and then we ended up doing so well that we actually, um, we actually ended up hiring a production manager, um, with that money. And that was total game changer because I am not, as you might have gathered, not a garment manufacturing expert by any stretch of the imagination. So, um, All right. so you started in July and you left your job in September. So when, in that two, a couple of months, right, you would like moonlighting um not real so what actually happened is that I, I quit my so we formally incorporated in july and i knew we i wanted to get it off the ground but i quit my job but a few months later we kind of didn't set it up properly got the workshop and that's when i quit my job so there wasn't really much of a crossover there i just decided it's what i wanted to do quit the job and went from there and you used your own savings to start yeah that's right yeah it wasn't um I guess at the time it seemed like a a lot of money but now when you get I guess used to the business world you're just used to seeing like large amounts of sums washing in and out of accounts so you get pretty like at the time it seemed like a really big deal but now you get a bit um maybe it's kind of used to it (laughs) it was very brave of you to do that so how many employees did you get the first round uh, we started off with three, a team of three working kind of casually, so only one or two days a week. And then and now we're a team of 10 and most people are, you know, working 30 to 40 hours a week. So, um, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. So let's go to the, um, the other question is underwear because mm-hmm. underwear is a very hard, um, it's a very hard thing to do because you need mm. expertise to sew that. It's not an, it's not mm. like you, you can go online. And also some of the, um, you need underwires and then, you know, mm. you, need, you need someone to actually know how to put them, place them from start mm. to finish. It's just yep. like wedding yep. gowns. It's a very specialized kind of sewing. And uh, like you said, you had no background. And then you hired all these ladies who just came to New Zealand uh, to refugees. Mm. So what did you do? Like, I was, I'm curious, did you go on YouTube? 
did you get a lot of manuals or how did you like teach them no um so that's where the production manager came in she was very handy but the, the easiest way is just to reverse engineer something so you work out what underwear it is you're, you're trying to make uh, and then you kind of take it apart and work out how it was made and then you kind of go about recreating that same thing yourself so um the hardest thing though of course is sourcing so um there's no place that you can go for like underwear parts in any kind of commercial sense like uh you know the quality of elastics and parts that you need you can't really just buy from a normal shop um so that was definitely the, the biggest hurdle finding suppliers um because there's nothing really in new zealand that well, the industry in new zealand's collapsed so you have to source globally um, but sourcing globally also means huge minimums and having to like commit a lot um early on um and we ended up having to buy directly from manufacturers so that means instead of buying through middlemen who kind of break things down and I mean you can buy lower quantities of things we had to buy huge volumes direct from source to get exactly what we wanted so yeah that was probably the biggest hurdle in the beginning was that kind of sourcing stuff so you were on the internet a lot on Alibaba uh, not really <laughs> to be honest most of the suppliers like so this was nearly four years ago maybe it's still the case but most really 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 big suppliers don't even have proper websites because they're they they the clients like Nike and like you know they're huge clients like they don't need to have anything customer facing they don't need to be found uh so that that kind of breaking through that is really um, really quite difficult yeah how did you go about it is it because of the production manager she had contacts no no i just ended up um there's a lingerie trade fair and they have enter um that happens i think a few times a year globally and they you have to pay mega bucks as a supplier like all of the best factories in the world are there that deal with lingerie products and parts um and to be like to showcase there you have to pay a lot of money for like a booth or whatever and i could never like dream of having going there because it's so ex- it's expensive even to attend but um they put out supplier lists so the like the directory of the people that are going to be showing at that event so i just got that supplier list and i was like these people what do they do yeah Oh that's great. Okay Nisa, mm-hmm. I got to ask you why underwear. You did say um that because um underwear, you know, clothes are a bit oversaturated and underwear mm-hmm. is everyone probably would need underwear at some point mm-hmm. of their life. Is that why you went through or did you have a, like a special thing for lingerie a long time ago? Um no, not at all. I think it was just um I was and still am a big fan of secondhand clothing and I think that there's enough clothing in the world. <laughs> to last us a long long time like it's um whereas underwear is something I'd personally never buy second hand socks as well uh and so I felt like there was really a justification for it like I could put my hand in my heart and say like people need these items um so that was one of the reasons but there were loads of others like you know underwear was really small and we had a, just had a small workshop so that worked out quite well super cheap to post all around the world to uh allows us to come kind of become a bit more of a global company just because of these like the size of the product um so yeah there's a lot to be said for underwear this great okay mm-hmm. so how much did you get from the crowdfunding that you did and what platform did you use i'm asking like did yeah. you go to kickstarter stuff like that no no we used a new zealand specific platform called um called pledge me um and so we raised $20,000 um and yeah that was just enough to kind of get us on our feet take on the production manager and go from there. And what about your own personal um investment? How much did you put in? Because 
from your job. I can't job. even remember anymore, to be honest. I feel like um, it's a long time ago now, but it was definitely all of my savings. Um, but I'd only been, um, but it doesn't really feel, I don't know, when you, when you really love something, it doesn't feel like a huge sacrifice. All right. So, okay. So did you get any personal kind of funding or from anyone else or any kind of um, like angel investors? No, none of that. We just bootstrapped, paid for it ourselves. Um, but I think there have been like key people that helped us along our way that never, um, that because we had such a, um, I guess, an inspiring mission, people really helped us out a lot. Like we had um, the first person who did our marketing, um, Shannon Ray, she was amazing. Um, you know, and, and like, you know, our rent in our first building was so cheap because they wanted to help us out. Like all of these pe- really important people just um, bent over backwards to make it happen. So it's not so much about money. It's more about that, that kind of stuff that makes the biggest difference. All right. So great. Mm. You had all that support from the start. Mm. So did you like, um, like for the first collection, how many, how many designs did you come up with? Uh, we just, I think we had four styles of underwear and that was it. Mm. Well, and you, and how did you start selling them to get, you know, the money rolling so that you can. Yeah, we, we use Shopify. I can definitely recommend Shopify as a great platform for selling online. Um, we're big Shopify fans over here. All right. And then um, you use a lot of Facebook marketing because, you know, Shopify, people need to find you. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I guess we focus a lot on our organic social media presence. So really trying to um, build a community um, around us. A lot of the people that buy from us aren't actually on even on social media. So it's really about trying to have as many direct touch points as you possibly can, like through email, um, just any, any way that you can communicate with the people that want to hear with you directly. And at any time when you left um, your job to do this, did you like have a, have like a buff, you know, I ask this to all entrepreneurs because they leave a really cushy job and they go into entrepreneurship, you know, because you're not sure what's going to happen because it's a pretty question mark kind of a career move. Mm. What about, did you save, do you, did you save any money? Did you have a buffer, you know, to help you get through hard times? How did you manage? Uh, I just managed. I I did what a lot of people do, which is they moved back in with their parents. <laughs> so, like, um, rent. I just reduced my own cost of living as much as I possibly could, and rent is a big one. Um, and so that um, so I didn't need a lot of money, but I do need a roof over my head, and I do need to eat. And I was really lucky that my parents could provide those things in the first. I think I stayed there for a year. I think that's mm-hmm. about right. So. Um, yeah, while that was, um, that's very, I'm very lucky in that sense, and not everyone has that. Um, and that's what kind of makes me sad about the world of entrepreneurialism, because you do need a large amount of support um, to even have the really the chance of making those big jumps. Um, yeah, mm. that's true. That's true. So okay, let's ta- let's talk about social enterprise. So all the the um, entrepreneurs that I've done uh, interviewed before this day just have. And company, so yours is a social enterprise. So I, I I can see that you're helping women, marginalized women, get into employment. But there's you know there's also a business side to the, to this uh, Lisa. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to find out how does a social on enterprise make a profit? The same way that a business makes a profit, it's um to be honest, like the mechanics aren't much different. We make stuff, we sell stuff, uh, and we use what we sell to pay our bills, which is like staff costs, rent 
electricity, <laughs> all of those kind of boring things. So it looks much like a business. Um, but I guess the the idea of a social enterprise is that you um, people and planet go first, profit kind of goes second. So you, you're making profit to achieve outcomes for the community and for the planet, not for yourself. Like if I wanted to make money, I'd still be a lawyer. Um, it's not, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's definitely not, um, money isn't the driving force. You use money to create change and make your, um, I guess, just increase the impact that your business is having. All right. So are all your employees refugees or um, you uh, most of the majority are. So we've got um, our production manager uh, is Kiwi, as is our um, a few other staff. And but yeah, the majority are from refugee and migrant backgrounds. Um, some people say, why aren't all your staff from refugee and migrant backgrounds? But um, when you actually ask our team about it, who are from those backgrounds. <laughs> People love having locals to chat to and to learn the ropes from and to like really be, I guess, introduced to the city and to this place. Um, and so we'd never want to lose that. All right. So how do you find these employees? Like, um, yeah. do they on Seek New Zealand or do they uh, come? Not really. So most of, our, um, most of our recruitment for our production team is done via the Red Cross. So they have a Pathways to Employment program. Um, that helps people from refugee backgrounds find work in New Zealand. Um, and then, yeah, I guess for more, for like marketing roles and stuff, we, we post that kind of more um, generically on Seek. But yeah, we really try to, um, to yeah, basically offer as many opportunities to the Red Cross as we possibly can. All right. So what is the, are most of these employees that you, you, um, yeah, hiya. Can they speak English or do you have a, you need to? Uh, most people, um, I guess everyone's got, a, there'd be no possible way to live in New Zealand with no English. Everyone has at least like some kind of basic way to communicate. Um, but we've had, but everyone's, people's English level are really different. Um, and I guess it depends like how old they were when they arrived here, um, how, what they did back home. Um, loads of different things and we we pride ourselves on being able to take people with quite limited English because sewing is such like a manual thing you know you can show people how to do it just through demonstrating it um, so you can get through like a lot of those barriers that language causes um, and then the idea is that through doing that and through being an environment that's English rich people just start picking it up from there um, and start speaking more so that's the idea. Wait, so you train them a bit before they well they have to be completely trained in making underwear because no one knows how to do that just <laughs> naturally <laughs> and the idea is that the English just gets better naturally by being in the workshop um and then occasionally we have like special um language learning kind of activities or we don't anymore but at um at points in times we've had like an English tuition in-house and things like that that's great okay so what is the brand's unique selling point and how do you stand up from the competition because this is a laundry brand and there's like mm. tons and tons of them out there. And then there's also the big guys like Triumph, mm. you know, the ones that we've, we, we always use for generations. So how do you stand out? Like, you know, uh, I guess it's pretty easy for us because no one's doing what we're doing. <laughs> you know, it's uh, we're about as far away from a generic underwear brand as you could possibly be. So that makes it easy. 
Alrighty, and um, what about um, how has companies four years old, give and take? Mm -hmm. So, what mm -hmm. is the revenue looking like? Um, if you you don't mind sharing, um, it's looking. We're hoping to be, fingers crossed, by the end of this financial year, we're hoping to be at about a million in revenue. Um, I don't know if we'll get there. Fingers crossed, <laughs> but um, that's that's the dream of this financial year. What is your financial year? Over here is June. What is the goes for March? Oh, March. Okay, great. So everything, all all sales are done through the Shopify website, or do you yep, have? That's right. Oh, that's great. Uh, we've got a shop in Wellington, and that's a really great way to connect with customers because customers can come in and see how everything's made. Um, but yeah, the vast majority of our, our sales are just through our website, which is www.nisa.co.nz. And most of the buyers are from New Zealand or are they worldwide? Uh, we've got quite a few. We've got a big following in Australia now as well. Uh, and then us, like, because people can technically buy from us from any country in the world, we get just a random mix of, I don't I have no idea how people have found out about us, but yeah, from all over the world. Great. That's great. So everything is made in New Zealand, right? It's 100% produced in New Zealand, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So right. we make everything in our workshop except for the socks, which are made by another New Zealand company. So all of the, um, so yeah, because we also sell socks, but we're not a sock factory. So we rely on our pals up in a little town in the north of New Zealand to do that for us. Um, but yeah, everything else is made right here, like, you know, over there. <laughs> How many seamstress do you have right now? Uh, we are, oh God, I think the production team is six people and we're a team of 10 altogether soon to be 11. I'm very amazed. How, how much of bras and undies do you produce in a month? Oh God. Um, couldn't even tell you cause they all take really different amounts of time to make. So we, and we never spend just one month making bras or just one month making briefs every day. Every day is different. All righty. No worries. All right. Um, this is a fashion based question. So how do you decide, decide on new styles for the year? Because you know, it's a fashion business. It's a very, you know, the turnaround is very fast. Like, you know, Zara, every three months, they have a new collection. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, you know, what about your your brand? Do you, do you have the same pressure or do you take uh, a different yeah. stance? One really amazing thing about being in the world of underwear is that there's no, there's not really seasons per se. Like we do a merino collection for winter um, and we do a swimwear collection in summer. But other than that, everything is like, we want to do something new we want we do something new you know there's not there's not like this rigid calendar that we have to keep to which is really freeing for us yeah all right any new lines that's coming up in the yeah pipeline? we've got our active we're actually launching an active wear line at the end of september which is going to be huge for us it's a huge leap very scary but exciting awesome so you now in the bra and the swimwear loungewear and now you're going to have an active wear that's one it's, it's kind of annoying because now there's no one word that it kind of summarizes us we used to be an underwear label and now we're just this like string of words <laughs> underwear activewear leisurewear swimwear and i need to find some kind of new little term that brings it all together but yeah so september what's the date do you have a launch date september 23rd is our launch wow. date is that your birthday no it feels like it should be though it'll be our fourth birthday is in September as well. So it'll be a great way to celebrate. All right. What is Nisa? Like, why did you decide the name Nisa? It sounds very, um, it's like a woman's name. 
like a like a yeah <laughs> well it actually means woman in arabic so um, when we started oh. a lot of our stuff with arabic speakers so it was inspired by them really that's interesting mm. wow all right okay some of the plans that you have for the brand this year going for okay so you said you're going to do active wear and what about expand expansion like commercialization like probably you know um would that be in the pipeline soon like going mass mass production <laughs> um i i don't know we're, we're really we're putting a lot of effort into our growth so we we almost double in size every year. So our year-on-year growth rate is 70%. Um, and that's when you make everything in-house, you can't just suddenly sell a million units tomorrow. Like, how would we do that? <laughs> it wouldn't be possible. And I also think we would never, it would be really hard for us to keep our impact model if we were ever as big as, like, one of the biggest companies in the world. But saying that we, um, we're really ambitious because the more underwear we sell, the more opportunities we can create. Um, and so we, and, and I think the way that we're going to do this is direct to consumer. So we're not going to sell to other stores. We're not going to deal with other people. We just want that direct relationship with customers all around the world. Um, mm. And also you would might want to expand your manufacturing plant in New Zealand, hire more. That's right. Yeah. And not, and not set it to like, you know, countries like China to do a mass production that is not important. Um, we're really focusing on Australia at the moment. And I guess you just go from there. You like pick the country that seems like the the most logical step next. You really invest in them. And then after you've kind of got to a good level, then you go, who's next? So, you know, um, is there a plan for global domination? No, but is there a pathway to some really cool things? Yes. And you just take it step by step by step. And who's doing the active wear? The same girls that are sewing the underwear? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, okay, that's all the time that we have for today. So we have just spoken to Alicia Watson, the founder and CEO of Nisa. Thank you, Alicia, for giving us your time today. No worries. Thank you for having me. No worries. The pleasure is all ours. Be sure to join us next week as we aim to feature another awesome entrepreneur from across the Tasman. Thank you very much.